what happened in the first service. I was expecting a big sign with my name and some kind of theme music. And so I sat over there with all of this went by and it was complete silence. I, you know, it has to do with man's desire to be worshiped and recognized and praised. It never leaves us. It never leaves us. You know, from the Garden of Eden, we've been wanting to be worshiped. But this is not a place for arrogance. This is not a place for vainglory. This is not a place for chasing the wind, as Solomon would put it. You chase the wind of fame and fortune and being glorified in men's eyes, fearing men all the time, and you reach out for that wind, and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. It lets us down. And so today, up on this platform, I'm reminded of the many times that we have prayed together with our hands on this platform. Lord, let nothing come up here that does not glorify you. Nothing, no speaker, no singer, no announcements. Let this place be a place for your glory and nothing else. So the arrogance of men put aside, even though it rises up in our flesh, right? I loved the preliminary songs and all the baptisms. Everything feeds perfectly in, and I find this, you, you know for a fact, I don't preach very often. In fact, I've preached three consecutive July 4ths, and I think the reason is I'm the only one here, right? I mean, there would be somebody else here if they could find them. But everybody's gone on holiday. So happy 4th of July today. Everybody online, everybody at the locations of Waters Church, Woonsocket, Tiverton, maybe even down in North Carolina, and also down at Apollo Beach in Guatemala and Peru, if you're listening today or in the future. We want God to touch you today and bless you. The, the message today, part of it comes from that wonderful psalm that was read. I didn't know about that. That was, that was chosen and a blessing, Psalm 27. And what that talked about was the resurrection of Christ. And I, and I thought, wow, David predicted the resurrection of Jesus. David, hundreds and hundreds of years before, knew that Jesus would be raised from the dead. In, in his Psalm 22, he described in terrible detail what would happen to Jesus. If you go back and read Psalm 22, you will see that description that fits minute details of what happened on that hill of the skull. In fact, I preached on the Hill of the Skull last July. Some of you may remember. But what I didn't realize was in that Psalm 22, at the end where he's talking about the risen Christ, the final verses are, our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the words, the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything 
he has done. What a prediction David made about the risen Christ. He's talking about your children. He's talking about all of us. He's talking about the ones that are in children's classes today, ones that may be in the room. He's talking about the future generations. When Jesus prayed in the upper room, he said, Father, not just these 12 with this last supper, but for those who will believe on the basis of their testimony in the far distant future, the people in this room, those baptisms, they talked with their testimony, did they not? They spoke. They didn't speak a bunch of religious words to you in those baptisms. They, they spoke about their experience with Jesus. A lot of people in this room may still stumble over the issue of testimony. You may say, I don't know enough about Jesus to share the, 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 the truth of Christ, the power of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Maybe I don't know all of those things but I can share what he did in me. And no matter how primitive the words, when you share the truth about what he did in your life, lives will be changed. I bet there is someone here right now who heard that testimony and recognized their own experience in those testimonies. One talked about attempting suicide. 1968, January, that's what I did. And then I met the Prince of Peace in Atlanta, Georgia, on Highland Avenue. And that peace has never left. The trials have been intense. I said in the first service that I don't know what it feels like to have a baby. I don't know the pain you go through if you're one of those mothers here who remembers. But I tell you, preparing for this message was worse than what you went through. The intensity of the spiritual warfare, the battles to stand up here for 35 minutes for two and a half months, I've, I've labored to deliver that child. And here I am. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> oh, my Lord. You know, I don't, I don't think Tim wanted me to preach on what I'm preaching on today, but, but somehow I'm going to do it anyway, and with God's help, it's going to be good. So, the summer of Psalms, and today we're going to be looking about finding the true purpose for your tongue. Finding the true purpose for your tongue. So when I was a, a kid at Edgewood Elementary School, I actually participated one day in the tearing down of that building, standing on the wall when I was college age. And, and I did it to, to earn a little bit of money. Because a kid had burned the church I went to, <laughs> He had burned the church that, we, that we'd grow, I'd grown up in going every week. And he'd also burned the school. I, my sisters and I went to, to uh, the elementary school years through eighth grade. And so there I was tearing it down. But one day at recess at that Edgewood Elementary in Clemson, South Carolina, 
Very small town, about 3,000 people at the time. It's much bigger now. And so at recess, the boys went out. I think maybe I was sixth grade, seventh grade. And the boys went out, and we decided we would learn to cuss. And I had never heard a cuss word in my life. My family did not cuss. There was no profanity in my house. Anybody here grow up in that? I mean, I'm telling you, that is really miraculous, isn't it? Can you imagine a household today where there would be no profanity the entire time you're growing up? Later on, my coach would say, John, you don't, you don't cuss. Why don't you cuss? Everybody else on the team cusses. I said, I don't know. I really do know now. But that day, we cussed for the entire recess. And that's the last time I cussed I, I, until my adult years, until I went in the Air Force and everybody cussed. So... God did not make my tongue to curse. He made my tongue for a different purpose. And that's what we're here for today, finding the true purpose for your tongue. Is it to go out at recess and cuss? Or is it something finer and more beautiful and more astonishing to bring about the kingdom of God in the earth? So let's uh, get prepared to read this segment of Psalm 5. I've I honestly am not sure I've ever read Psalm 5 before this message. And I was about two months into the preparation for the message, and Tim, Tim's secretary said, John, pick a psalm that you're going to be preaching on. And I'd already prepared the message, and I had to pick a psalm that somehow didn't completely clash with everything I'd done for two months. And this was the psalm, and it fit perfectly. It's David's imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory means a spoken curse. David cursing his enemies. Now, in the background, you've got to see when David is speaking, writing, singing this song, psalm, this song, when he's doing that, there are two children, Absalom, and Amnon, his two children. And when he wrote this and sang it, his two sons were dead. It's in the background of every word that he speaks. It's in the background of his broken heart. Absalom killed Amnon. Amnon raped his half-sister. You see, when we come to God, we do not come through a religious door. We come through pain. We come through loss. We come through the agony of living in this world, in this broken world. We don't come to Jesus through religious ritual. We come through the glory of God revealed in the suffering. Tim talked about this just in the last few weeks. So here's that spoken curse. And I'm, I think you're going to see that in the midst of the curse is the glory of God, the worship of God, taking refuge in Him. So rise and let's recite together, or, or you, can, you can recite with me silently, 
Psalm 5. This is the New Living Translation. And I'm going to be reading only verses 7 through 12. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house, David declares. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Awe means wonder and astonishment. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. Lies is the footnote. O oh God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in, you, in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. You may be seated. Finding the true purpose of your tongue. My wife is going through some, some trials, and she has, was not able to be here today, but she watched from home. And she has been speaking the words of God to me for the last year or two, especially. Over all the years, she's, she's been speaking the grace of God over me, the honesty of God over me, right? Isn't that what wives do with their husbands? They tell them the truth that they need to hear. The discipline of God even comes through your wife. And so God has really been speaking to her. She sleeps a lot now. So as she's sleeping, she has dreams. You know, the, the prophet Joel talked about the, the Spirit of God coming in the last days upon all flesh, male and female. He will pour out his Spirit to prophesy to have vision. So she wakes up with these visions, and, and she said to me, she said to me, God spoke to me through Psalm 27, the one that was read today. And this is the part that she recalls, and you may remember it from the powerful reading we just had earlier. I can hear in my heart God calling me to talk to him. And I say to him, I am coming, Lord. I am coming, Lord. I hear your call. I am coming, Lord. That's the verse that she took from God's message. That's the vision that God gave her. I am coming, Lord. In all of her, her trials that she's going through, she says, I am coming, Lord. I hear you. This is the cry of our hearts that God will call us to talk to him. And our answer has always got to be, I am coming, Lord. We taught Wednesday night in my life group, which is a men's group, and one of the things that we always talk about is the conversation with God is the ultimate act of faith. Nothing pleases God unless it's through faith. When we talk to God, it is an act of our faith, believing that He exists, that He is powerful, that He's our Father, that He loves us, that He's right there as close. He's already filled us with His Spirit 
that he's hearing what we need. He's, he's responding to our pain. He even takes our curse, this imprecatory psalm of David. So I, I'm going to speak to you on four points in the journey from Genesis to Revelation. And one of the things that, that teachers tell preachers is never preach the whole Bible. Never preach from Genesis to Revelation. So what am I going to do? I'm going to preach from Genesis to Revelation. Tim tried to stop me, I think, on this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So here we go. Twisted tongues hobble the generations. Twisted tongues hobble the generation. We're talking about the Garden of Eden hobbling the generations. You know, we, we hear a lot more today about generations than when I was growing up. I came from the silent generation, but God anointed my tongue to be up here and not be silent. He doesn't want me silent. He doesn't want my testimony to be silent. He doesn't want my mouth to be silent. He wants me to speak wherever I am. He wants me to speak. What happened in the Garden of Eden, as you, many of you may know from intensive exposure to that story, is the, the serpent came to Eve, and God had said to, to Adam, if you eat the fruit from this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. What did Satan say to Eve? You will not die. God knows that your eyes will be open and you will know the difference between good and evil. You will be like God. So that's one of the reasons I mentioned this platform. You will be like God. You can stand on the platform. You can draw attention to yourself. That's not what God called us to. He called us to obey his instructions and warnings. And we live in a crooked generation, and I'm going to mention that before we get through. Peter coined that phrase. We live in that crooked generation. So David says their deepest desire is to destroy others. The crooked generation is always inspired by the one in the garden, the serpent, who said, God did not say, God did not mean. That's what the crooked generation does. It throws doubt and twists the truth of the words of God. God's words are, they, they will stand forever. His word will never end. The word of God was there at the beginning the first Bible study I ever went to was, the, was John 1 in the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was made was made by Him and through Him, and nothing that has been made was not made by Him. And He became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood in North Attleboro. That's the God that we're talking about. But they're the, the crooked generation's deepest desires to destroy others. Their talk is foul. 
like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery and lies. Oh, God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. So one Tuesday night for a first Tuesday, I came up here and I prayed, Lord, either save Vladimir Putin or kill him. That's a curse, right? But it's also a blessing. I don't know if that's a right prayer. That's what David is doing. Jesus said, return a blessing. So my blessing to Vladimir Putin or anybody else out there that needs God's help, needs God's revelation, his salvation, is God save them. God change their hearts. No matter how high they are or how low they are, God change their hearts. So in Luke, while the, while the tongues are twisting what God said across America, twisting the words of God, God doesn't give us warnings to be mean. He gives us warnings to save us and protect us and guard our lives, draw, draw us to himself, bring us into worship. And so one day, some, this is in Luke 18, 15 through 17, if you want to write that down in your notes. Luke 18, 15 through 17. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. Today, we don't want our kids touched and blessed in the wrong way. We don't want that to happen. We're very concerned about that. And so Jesus said, and then the disciples came as these parents were bringing their children to be touched and blessed by Jesus. They saw this, and they scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. Oh, you shouldn't bring your kids to Jesus. You should not bring your kids to Jesus. You should not bring your kids to keep Jesus. Keep your sons and daughters away from Jesus. Don't do that. Isolate them from Jesus. Separate them from Jesus. Shut them down where Jesus is concerned. You get it? I think you do. The crooked generation wants to isolate your kids from the touch and the blessing of Christ. So Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everybody else is lying. Everybody else trying to destroy others. And we were once just like them. That's where we came from, that crooked generation. 1968, I was still in the crooked generation, even though I'd gone to church my whole life. I went to recess, and we learned to cuss, right? That's what happens in the crooked generation. We don't get that proper touch and blessing from Christ. And so Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter the kingdom of God. And so all of our prayers, we come as little ones crying, Abba, Father. That's the, that's the cry of a child to his father. Abba, Father. If you look closely at those verses, I think it's Hebrews 4. And if you look closely at those verses where Jesus makes 
a way for us to come to God as little children, to be touched and blessed by Him. It goes on to say, be separated from the wickedness. Be separated from the wickedness. It's not just out there. It was in here. God and His Son are the only, He's the only one that can separate us from that wickedness. He's the only one that can heal us of that brokenness. I'm not up here because I'm without sin. I'm not up here because I wasn't broken. And I still struggle with many things. That's not why I'm up here. I'm up here because I'm not going to lie to you about the words of Christ and about the kingdom of God. So I was in this, I was in this sanctuary in the previous building. How many people were, were involved when we had the Answers Fitness building? So, oh, a half a dozen or so. It's amazing. It's like a whole different church. And so we were in that building right down the hill there. And I was in the sanctuary in the dark, and I was praying intensely. And there was a woman here in the first service who was blind, and she had a, she had a cane, right, with a staff, with a, you know, that they ha- she has to use to walk around. And in this, in this prayer, this deep prayer, silent prayer, God was asking me. I was about 60-something, so it's about 15 years ago. And God was asking me to give him that stick, that staff in my hand. What have you got in your hand, John? Give it to me. That's what he said to Moses. Moses had complained, my tongue doesn't work. I stutter. I can't do what you're telling me to do. I can't go and rescue the Israelites from the kingdom of Satan. I can't do that. My tongue, I'll stutter. It'll be a complete failure. I can't do what you're asking. Is that what we're doing, many of us still? I'm telling you, before I came up here, I was ready to call Tim about three different times and say, Tim, can't do it. Get somebody else. I can't do this. But by the grace of God, I got here. So God was asking for that. That, that's thing that I had in my hand. You know, Moses had spent 40 years in Egypt. He spent 40 years out in the wilderness taking care of somebody else's sheep. Our dog is named Jethro. Well, he was taking care of Jethro's sheep. Not my dog, but his father-in-law. And that's where he was. And God came and spoke to him. In the midst of this isolation, at age 80, And so there I was praying, and God put his hand on my shoulder. And I I was just so deeply moved that God literally was speaking to me, just face to face, was touching me. And finally, it became kind of a grip on my shoulder. And so I opened my eyes to see if I could see Jesus standing there. I know people who've had that experience here at Waters Church. And when I opened my eyes, it was Tim in a darkened room. And you know what Tim said? He said, John, you should consider Moses when he talked to God. The very thing I was praying, the very visualization that was happening in my prayer. Tim came and touched me. By the Spirit spoke. You see, what we're talking about here today It's spirit. Jesus said, my words are spirit. 
Confusion of the tongues is number two. Divides the nations. David says, drive them away because of their many sins. But they have rebelled against you. Well, he's right. He is calling down a curse on them. It is the imprecatory Psalm 5. So, in the confusion of the tongues, many of you are quite familiar with the story, maybe even from your Sunday school classes. The Tower of Babel, it was just a fascinating story. They had gathered in Babylonia, and they all spoke the same language, and they did not want to do what God had instructed Adam to do, which was to fill the earth and rule over it, to multiply. They'd done that, and they lived in Babylonia. So in Babylon, what did they do? They did what people always do in Babylon. They built a tower to their own glory. And so when they got to the tippy top of that giant tower that went up into the clouds, they stood on the top, and they raised their hands and worshiped God. No. They said, look at what we've done. Look at how glorious we are. We'll be famous. Everybody will look at our building, and, and they will be so amazed at our glory. That's what Eve heard in the garden. You'll be like God. You'll be like God. So in, in step two of this journey through the word of God concerning the tongue, God divided the tongues, and they couldn't speak the same language anymore. Went all over the earth. They formed a new country here, there, mountaintops, valleys, deserts, according to their languages, and scattered them. And all the Jews were scattered at one point to all the different countries of the world. And so Isaiah says in this, in this scattering that's taking place in our world today, the scattering, speaking different languages, we can't understand each other anymore. People say things, what are they talking about? I don't understand them. And so Isaiah makes this promise in, in Isaiah 59. And this is right before in Isaiah 61, Jesus stands in the in the his hometown in the synagogue, and he reads from the scroll from Isaiah 61, and he says, God has anointed me to set the captive free, to lift the chin of the one who's downcast, put on a garment of praise for the one that can no longer sing, the one that, who's depressed has no hope. That's Isaiah 61. So this is Isaiah 59, and he is saying, this is like the fifth gospel speaking of Jesus coming. And he says, my spirit, this is the Lord speaking, will bring these words to remembrance, and they will be on your tongues and on the tongues of your children and your children's children forever. They won't be erased. They won't be lost they won't be misplaced. They'll be on your children's tongues forever. So do you remember a while back it, before the COVID crisis hit, it was literally within a day or two or three. It was just so close. It was unbelievable. And the COVID thing just shut the world down, shut, even shut down parts of the church. And in that, in that shutdown, this song came forth. It was called Blessing. And, and these are the words. May his favor be upon you 
and a thousand generations, and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you in a thousand generations, and your family and your children and their children and their children. And remember the refrain was, Amen, Amen. And what goes through that, the amens in that song. Powerful, wonderful song. And it was God speaking to us right before that shutdown about his promises. Isaiah 59 is part of that promise. Luke, that I read to you earlier, the story of Jesus with the kids, that's part of that promise of God. So I've got, I've got a life group that meets on Wednesday. It's a men's group. And I've got a life group on Friday with, with a medical center. And no matter what age, no matter where we are in the seasons of life, we just had the message on seasons a week ago. No matter where we are and which season we're in, the heart of man cries out for God. The heart of man thirsts for God's words, thirsts for God's touch and his blessing. And so my men's group, we, we'd meet on Google Meet because the men are all over the place. One's down and working in Connecticut. He comes in on the weekends. I just saw him this, this morning. Another is in Shanghai, China. And he's about to marry a Chinese woman, Chinese girl. He's never been married. And she's invited 100 Chinese people to the wedding. And he, he told us on Wednesday night, he said, I don't know any of them. And so he's stressing out about his wedding. So he's in China bearing witness to Christ. He, he works on an online thing where people write in their questions or call in their questions. And he sits there and tries to answer their questions. He and I sat in the bookstore in Plainville, and we talked about the Lord. And I invited him to my small group and, and to my... Um, to my, our time each week, he started coming, prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill him and everybody in the group. Now he's in China. He never misses if, he, if he's not interrupted by his work schedule. He teaches at Shanghai Tech. So that's, what, that's one man. I've got another man who, who's in the woods. He meets with us on his phone. He's in the woods in a tent. He can't afford to, to rent a room. So he's trying to save up some money. He's got a job. So God never quits touching and never quits blessing. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. God never quits touching and blessing. So the third point is maybe the most exciting of all. It's the tongues of fire exalting the virtues of God. It's the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, and there they are gathered in a house, the disciples, and 3,000 from all the known countries of the world are gathered around the house. The Jews have come from every country in the known world, wherever they were scattered from the Tower of Babel era and beyond. And they've come back to Jerusalem. And the Spirit of God comes. The wind blows. And they come. They can hear the noise of the great wind blowing. They can hear the, the people speaking in other languages. And they come to that gathering. And these scattered folks from all over the world hear the glories of God in their own native language. 
Because the people, the disciples that have been touched by the Holy Spirit, the tongues of fire have come upon them. The baptism of Jesus has come. They've become anointed by the Holy Spirit with gifts. And one of those gifts was the speaking in tongues. And as they speak, these people hear the glories of Christ on the cross, laying down his life as a perfect lamb for the sins of all men. All men. And so as they, as they stand there, they are reunited, but guess what? They're no longer praising the glories of man from the top of a tower. They're now praising the glories of God. But first, Peter has to stand up and explain to them what's happening. He said they're not drunk. He said, you guys need to repent of your sins your complicity in the crucifixion of God's Son. He sent His Son to the Jews, and you killed Him. And their hearts were cut by the Holy Spirit. What must we do? And He said, repent and be saved. Believe in God's Son. Believe in God's Son. And so they did. And 3,000 were added to the church that day. And, and Peter went on in his, his speech. Remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times, just literally. Days before, before he was crucified. I don't know the man. Adam never met the man, but we saw you with him. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. That same one stood up and gave that word to 3,000 who were saved. Look, if you have stood and said, I don't know this guy. I don't have anything to do with it. I don't go to that church. I don't have anything to do with Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. If you've ever done that, it's not over. Because Jesus has prayed for you. Jesus has prayed for you. He's interceded for you. And you can stand up and make that sermon, and 3,000 can be saved. And I'm exaggerating. It might be more than 3,000. You never know. So 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, new life. We sang the song earlier about the resurrection of Jesus. So the scattered tongues were brought home. And this time, it was to the glory of God. Peter's final word to that crowd that day, and his honestly probably final word to you today if you can remember it. He said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Every generation is crooked. The generations today, the latest generation, they stand up and say, we got it figured out. Our parents did it wrong. Our grandparents did it wrong. We've learned from them. We're going to be better than them. Yeah, you're going to be better, but you're still going to be lost. You're still going to be broken. No generation is exempt from Peter's final word to that crowd of more than 3,000. He said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save your children from this crooked generation. Their generation will be the same. But if they're called out of that crooked generation into Christ, those words that God puts on their hearts when their children will never be forgotten. Never be forgotten. Never taken away from their, from their tongues or their children's tongues forever. The final word, and I'm down to 30 seconds, 37 seconds. So this is going to have to be a little bit quicker. Worshiping tongues exalt the word of God. 
Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Because of your unfailing love, that's grace. That's what, that's what David is talking about. David can come in with all of his wrath toward his enemies, with all of his own sins and sins he was going to commit in the future. He can go into the temple to worship because of God's unfailing love. We sang about the goodness of God. And so 1 John 4, 4 says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You've been called out of that crooked generation. You have the victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to the world. So they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. You can't help it. And neither could we when we were part of that. So if you're still in the crooked generation, there's hope. God's Spirit comes. And so in Colossians 1, this is from chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. You ought to go back and read this. This is, Jesus is supreme. So what does that mean? And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Everything, all the things you're looking at today, and you think, oh, my God, why is this happening? How could this be happening? How can people be so crooked? Maybe you're saying it about yourself. How can I be so crooked? How can God save me? I'm too far from him. And, this, and the verse says, this includes you who are once far away from God. That's every one of us, far away from God. Maybe some people here still far away from God. Maybe some people watching online still far away from God. And it goes on and says, You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Separated from God. He has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Jesus said in the upper room, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way. Follow me. I'm the truth. Believe in me. I'm the life received from me. I'm the truth. Stand firmly in this truth. Believe in this truth. For God so loved the world that all who believe in him will not die, but will have everlasting life. And he did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He didn't come to condemn you. He didn't con if you're still far from God, he did not come to condemn you. He came to save you. He's saving you now with every touch and every blessing. So finding the true purpose for your tongue, sermon in a sentence, is to guide your children into worship. Guide your children into worship. It means you're going to have to learn to draw near to God. You're going to have to learn to worship God. You can't teach them if you don't know how. You have to have grace of God over your life. If you don't, you can't. Put grace down over your children's lives. 
They don't come through legalism or the law. They come through grace, unmerited favor that no one should boast. It's a gift from God. Everybody comes in through that door, through that truth, that way, and that life, or not at all. There's no other way. Jesus said it. So guide your children into worship. So let me pray. Father, we just lift this time up. We lift up this word. Lord, let your word, ha- let your word have legs. Let it speak. Let it, let it work deeply into us. And ultimately, let it work deeply into our children. Lord, we, we're going to fail them again and again. We're going to be like David, wondering if he was at fault when Amnon and Absalom were gone, his beloved sons. He's going to worry and be concerned that maybe it was his fault. But, Father, you did not come to condemn the world. So we pray you make some new believers today and make them holy and set apart to stand firm in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.